Philippians chapter number 4. Philippians 4. We're working with the first nine verses here of Philippians 4. We're dealing with anxiety. Well, we are anyway. But we're dealing with the issue of anxiety as well. And I hope that uh, the things that I get to share with you might be useful. Um, I know it's God's Word, so it challenges me every time I open it up. And uh, so we've got a a wonderful thing to do here today. Now, this is a three-part sermon, and this is part number two. We did part one two weeks ago in Philippians 4, verse 6. That passage just says, uh, uh, do not be anxious for nothing. Yeah, i got to make sure I get the no in the right place. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We dealt with that last time. And I said there were two more messages to follow. Both of them will be today, this morning and this evening. So, you know what next week is. It's December. Uh, We've got Christmas to talk about, too. And so we're going to uh, do Philippians this morning, and the second part, and Philippians the third part this evening, and if there's some reason you might not be able to catch all of that, we will have it put up on our our internet, the audio version of it, and you can catch up that way. We had a uh, Thanksgiving Eve service this last Wednesday, and that's on the internet too. If you go looking for a picture of the Mayflower, click it and you've got the message, all right, or take you right to it. And uh, there were things I learned last Thursday or Wednesday. And that's funny. I'm preaching, and I'm the one learning uh, about all these things. And I thought it was a fascinating uh, time spent together. So today we're going to talk about the next couple of things we're to learn. Concerning anxiety and concerning thankfulness, um, we saw the issue at hand last week, which is what we all contend with. Uh, We dealt with it in the form of two boxes, remember? Or do I have to start all over? One box is what we call the things we're anxious about. (laughs) What was this box for? The things we give to God. Right. And the challenge is, according to Philippians 4, 6, this is to be empty. You're not to be anxious of anything. This box is to be empty. Because we're supposed to, in prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. This box should be full. This box should be empty. We talked about that. Some people are still working on that, right? How are you doing, Sid? Better? Okay, he's working on it. Well, Megan had a great theological point last week after church. She says, well, if we're assigned two boxes for life, our box of anxiety and, and what we give to God, why don't we just burn this one? said, well, that solves it, doesn't it? But we're human, aren't we? So we were talking about these boxes. I want to to touch up one more piece with that with you, uh, because that's the issue at hand. And today we're going to talk about the challenge at hand. And believe it or not, that 
That one was not the issue the Philippians were wrestling with. I'm going to show you what they were wrestling with in the first nine verses here. And then tonight we're going to talk about the Lord at hand, which is also in verse number five. You'll see that toward the end, the Lord is near. Um, but to start with here, let me, let me just say something about this. We talked last week about the, or two weeks ago rather, about the fact that nothing should be in this box. Verse six, be anxious for nothing. That means leave it empty. That means everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's where it's supposed to go. Right. Now, when I was thinking through that, I thought, well, yes, that's what we're supposed to do. How? What's the manner by which we do this? And I thought of another passage I could add to this, and I already had my my hour full last time, pretty much. So I said, I'll just throw this at you this morning. And it's in First Peter. Travel over to First Peter chapter 5 and look at another very recognizable verse. You might already know it if I said, you know, take a look at verse number 7. Casting all your care, or you might have the word anxiety. Upon him because he cares for you. Now, look at the word for a minute. Casting here. Epiripto is the word. It's a cool little word to look at. Epiripto. It's the idea of throwing something. Throwing it. Casting it. Uh, Ripto. Maybe you think of a riptide. You don't want caught in one of those, do you? I mean, the whole idea is that it grabs you suddenly and yanks you under the water and off you go. Uh, I don't know if this is exactly the same word, but the Greek word ripto is a sudden fling, uh, a, a quick toss. It's not a prolonged thing. It's not an extended thing. It's not like, okay, I'm going to take this care and slowly give it to God. All right? The idea is fling it. To throw it suddenly. Matter of fact, there's, a, there's an epi in the word. Epi, ripto. Epi is, is a preposition that sometimes intensifies the motion. Makes you do it even more. Uh, we, we use it sometimes to even denote the idea of violence. We use it for epithumia, which is the word for lust, which means violent desire. It's pretty intense. And I thought, well, when you put this here, what does that look like? Um, I would suggest it this way. If you look down onto your hand and you suddenly see a big hairy spider crawling on it, what's your first reaction? Bah! Right? You don't think about it. You don't stop and say, hey, spider, let's look at him for a few minutes. We, we have a, a reaction that makes us do something sudden, something actually impulsively. That's the way we operate. Now, wouldn't that be cool if any anxiety heading toward this box suddenly, impulsively, gets flung as quickly as possible to God's box? That's the word casting. All right? And I said, well, that's pretty cool. That that means I'm not going to sit here and study it. I'm not going to sit here and, and pet it and care for it and feed it a little bit and all these other things, I'm going to look at it as something abhorrent. It's not welcomed. I don't want it. And that's reality, isn't it? 
I'm not going to treat my cares and my worries as if they're my friends. I, I won't give that to them where I, I, I refuse to give them up. So I'm going to cast it. I'm going to fling it. The second thing that goes with that thought is once you do that, it doesn't go with strings. How many times have we put something in God's box and took it back out? We put it there with a rope, don't we? I put it there, whoop, pull it out. Put it there, whoop, pull it out. How many years can we do that? I know, some of us do. But that's not the action that we have in this word casting. Casting is complete. You threw that thing. It's not in your hand anymore. It's not yours to carry any longer. It's gone. Now that's two parts of it. But I want to add something to this. And this is really, really important. Listen carefully. This word casting is not a command. Let me say, it should be. Oh, I think so. But it's not a command. To, uh, to be honest with you, I was hoping it was, because pastors love commands. It was a participle. What's a participle? Uh, a participle is an action going on with the main action. All right? It's describing a person doing something while this main action is happening. And I said, well, if this is only happening during something else, what is that something else? And I went back to the text and my eyes went up to verse 6. Verse 6 is the command. Look at this very carefully. You've got to see what it just said. The command is what? Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time while casting your cares upon him. The main thing we are called to do is humble ourselves. As a matter of fact, because it's in the aorist tense in the Greek that always tells me something, it's urgent. Do it now. Start right now. As if you've never done it before, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And you say, well, how does, that, how does that work in the passage? Let me explain it this way. There is something else that needs thrown into this box. And that is your pride. Ooh, did I say that? Yes. Because you know what is the motivator for us to fill this box? It's our pride. When you get down to it, what you're saying is, Lord, I'm going to handle this myself. Is that not pride? Or you're saying, Lord, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to trust you with this one. Is that not pride? It would keep you from looking to the Lord every time. Pride will. It would keep you from trusting the Lord all the time. It would keep your eyes on the problem. And even we'll take them out and we'll parade them around and we'll get some attention. And isn't that pride too? We'll compare our problems with your problems. Bring your box over. Let's look at it. All right, Everybody, share what's in your box. And we all get this really wonderful feeling, but we're trying to outdo each other because it, you look better if you've got a full box. Is that not pride? The person who sets the Lord first is the one who's going to be casting their care upon him. You got it? The person who sets the Lord first is the one who will, with that action, 
naturally, impulsively, I don't know how other way to say it, but he understands that the Lord cares for him because he set his eyes on the Lord and not on the problem. You see it? That's what the text is showing me, and I'm looking at this and said, whoa, that means my anxiety box reflects the degree in which I trust my Lord. So if you want, a, you want a report card on how you're doing, check out what's in your box. That's what it comes down to. Do you truly trust the Lord with this? Do you want to give Him these things? Because as we trust the Lord, we learn about Him and we learn what He can do. And that just brings back praise to Him, doesn't it? That's humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of our God. And you say, well, is this all new stuff? No. You've heard it your whole life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what? He directs the path, right? That's good to know. The Old Testament saints grew up with this truth. Old Testament saints, I found another one. David's writing, right? He's not really using a keyboard, but that's why we talk anymore. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Have you tested him on that? Do you trust him on that? How about this one? Psalm 37, 5. David again. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Do what? Well, talk to him. You won't know until you talk to him, until you commit to him, and you trust in him, that he will do it comes after those factors. And I think, you know, there's a lot we've got to learn here. But what did we learn about the Philippians? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we're looking at all this, I show you the nature of the command. Be anxious for nothing. It's actually complimentary to the Philippians. He's not rebuking them. We're going to talk about this now. All right, that wasn't the sermon. Now I'll give you the sermon. I just said, I had to add some extra pieces last week from last, or last time. But let's look at this. The Philippian church, Philippians 4, back over there, Verse number 6, they were good at this. I recommend to you that they were good at this. Because of the nature of the command, Paul using a present tense command here, it said, keep at it. Keep on being anxious about nothing. So they obviously were doing it. And he didn't want them to quit doing it. Whatever they were doing, he says, you know, there's tendencies... When we're doing something to get tired, to get discouraged, to, to be overwhelmed at times, the only concern Paul had because he gave it a command was that they might quit. They were doing it right. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. I know the road is long at times and it feels that way. I know there's a danger that we may find a difficult journey 
discouraging, maybe too challenging. How often have we quit? How often have we given up? He's telling our Philippians friends, you're, you're doing great. Don't stop. And I want to say something, just a side note on that point. There's something so valuable to encouraging one another with commenting on the things they do right. As you well know, our society is very critical. And they're always looking for something you do wrong. And they want to highlight what you're doing wrong and saying this is wrong, this is wrong. Let's take notice this week of what's happening that's right. You've got a spouse, you've got children, you've got parents, you've got some. Look for something to commend them and say you're doing it right. That's, that's great. How it can lift all of us up. And that's what Paul's doing here. They had a lot going on in the Philippian church. And he says, you're doing this right. You're putting your anxieties in the right box. That's good. Keep it going. Keep it going. Keep it going. So let's, let's set out as a mission for this week to commend somebody, to encourage somebody, to tell them they're doing it right. And say, I'm, I'm going to keep praying that you keep that up. I think that does us a world of good. So let's go back to our text again. Today we're looking for the challenge, right? What is the challenge the Philippians needed help with in these nine verses? Start in verse number one. I'm just going to start reading. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Yodia and I urge Synthaki to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Nine verses, nine commands. Remember? Eight of these are present tense commands. In other words, these are good. One of these is an aorist command, which is, this is where you need work. That's the challenge we're going to look for today. Of all nine of these, eight of them, the Philippians did well. Last time I asked you which one was the one they had the struggle with, I told you I wasn't going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you today. All right? Let's work through it. Let's find out. Verse number one, first command, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Present tense. Good news. They were doing this one. It actually reads this way. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown... In this way, keep on standing firm in the Lord, my beloved. They were good at it. That's very encouraging, isn't it? They were good at it. Verse number three. 
We have a couple of ladies having a challenge here. So, ooh, that's got to be it. That's got to be the one they really struggled with. Let me read it to you. I urge Euodia and I urge Synthaki to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion. I ask you also to keep on helping these women. Present tense. Good news. Guess what they were doing? They already were helping them. Don't quit. Keep helping. Keep helping. Keep helping. The Philippians were good at it. I said, great. That's not the issue. That's not what they're struggling with. Verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Sound like a challenge to you? It reads this way. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. Guess what? They were good at it. They were already doing that. And he says, don't quit. Matter of fact, the second part of the verse, he says, and again I will say, keep on rejoicing. They were good at it. Twice he brings it up that that was not their problem. They were doing well. Okay, we're working through our lists, aren't we? But where would they have learned these kind of things? To rejoice? To keep going? Well, what was Paul's introduction to Philippi? Do you recall? Acts chapter 16. You know where he spent the night? In a jail. After he and Silas had been beaten. And they were in this jail. And they started doing what? Praising the Lord and worshiping. And I want to read you something here. This is Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Ooh, okay. We'll come back to that in a minute. But this rejoicing thing, it was woven into the fabric of this church from the very beginning. This is the way they did it. They were good at it. Verse 6, we've already discussed. Keep on being anxious for nothing. That meant they were doing it. They were doing it right. They were putting it into the right box. They were good at it. So that's not our issue. The rest of verse 6. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, keep on letting your requests be made known to God. What does that say to you? They were doing it. And they were good at it. They were already going through putting it in the right place. They knew how to pray. This was a great praying church. Read their story earlier in the chapters. Paul commended them for their part in the ministry. And they weren't even with him. But their fellowship was that of prayer. How they prayed and prayed and prayed for Paul and gave him monetary help. But they knew how to pray. And they knew what things belonged in which box. That's my suggestion. They were good at it. So you say, okay, where's their problem? Verse 8. Whatever is pure or true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Keep on dwelling on these things. Guess what? They were already doing it. They were already thinking through the proper way. They already had a mind that were focused on what was right. They had learned how to discern what they were hearing, what needed to be heard, and what needed to be discarded. They had a filter in their head. We all need it, folks. 
a spiritual filter, with all this junk that bombards us on a daily basis, wouldn't it be great to measure everything according to what is good, what is true, what is honorable, what is lovely, what is of good repute, and then discard the rest? How much is left in the newspaper? Just a thought. But here, if we can only use this filter in our head to help us to understand what should we dwell on, what should we dwell on? You want a good teacher? It was the Philippians. The Philippians are good at this. That's what Paul says. Keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. They were teachers for us there. Verse 9 Verse 9, the things you learned and received and heard and seen in me, keep on practicing these things. In other words, they were doing that already. And they were very good at hearing and learning and doing. They knew how to trust. Trust, you know, is something we build. We take it one step at a time, but we take what the God has given to us in his, his scripture. We learn it. We look for examples to help us to know how to do this right. We learn from it. We learn from it. We learn from it. As Paul says, you learn from me. And now you're doing it. You're practicing these things. Sometimes they say, Lord, just show me somebody who does it right. And God says, okay, look at the Philippians. They did it right. I tell them not to quit. And they don't quit. And so the message to us is, don't quit. You're doing it right? Keep practicing, keep practicing, keep practicing. What you have before you, folks, is something simple. You have, in the Philippian church, a mature congregation. Can you sense that? They are a mature congregation. They, there are a few things they needed adjusted in their fellowship. I, I'm not saying they were perfect, but they were growing. They were maturing. I'll give you a contrast. You read the Corinthian church, they're in kindergarten. Read the Philippian church, they're in college. That's the difference between the two when you set them side by side. But they did have a challenge, and I left it out. Did you catch it? There was one command in there that was not, keep going, going, but you better get started. Verse 5. Verse 5. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. What? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. You say, but Pastor, mine doesn't say gentle spirit. I have a different word there. And probably you do. If you're carrying the King James Version this morning, you're saying, let your moderation be known unto all men. You say, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, NIV, let your gentleness be evident to all The ESV, some people carry that. Let your reasonableness be known to everybody. If you go back in 1300, Mr. Wycliffe, he put it down as, let your patience be seen by everybody. How many are good at that? No hands? Okay. Tyndale said this. Tyndale is great. Let your softness be known to everybody. He said, what? I don't know what that softness idea is. So, of course, I pull up the Amplified Version, because I like to. Let all men know and perceive and recognize your unselfishness, your considerateness, your forbearing spirit. So I ask you, which is it? Is it unselfishness or consideration or forbearance 
words is it softness or patience or reasonableness or gentleness or moderation? Which one should we show them? Or are they all the same? This little Greek word we're going to look at for a minute, it's kind of interesting, and I'm just saying out words, I'm not trying to just say, woo, isn't that impressive? Just because there's something in this word you're going to recognize. It's epi-ikes. You got it? You don't know. Okay. Epi, that's that beginning part of that word we've touched on twice already. It's pretty intensive. It's operating. It's got some very intense pieces to it. But it also means to rest upon something. Epidermis. What's that? Skin. That's on the inside or on the outside? I always get these confused. It's on the outside, isn't it? Sits on the top of everything else. Epi sits on the top of everything else. Okay, hold that for a thought. The second word is ico, which we get the word icon. You know what an icon is, don't you? Some people say, well, uh, it could be, it could be like a, is it an idol? What is an icon? An icon. An icon is the idea of a copy. A copy. It's supposed to be a good copy. There was a certain camera out, remember? The icon camera. It was supposed to give you the best image, a uh, copy as possible. An icon. An icon, a copy of rest. An copy of rest. We have a lot of different words for this. Some people use moderation and other things like that. But what it comes down to is, what do the people out there see of you in your trust in the Lord? Let them see how you're trusting the Lord. There's a contrast between verse 5 and what we tend to do with verse 6. Verse 6, we see the word anxious. And in verse 5, we're talking about a restful confidence upon the Lord. A copy meant to be seen. Now, I'm going to put this in perspective so you understand what I'm saying. But I, I found this translation of this one little phrase, this gentle spirit, to be this. Your appropriate spirit. Your appropriate spirit. This is what they already had. They were good at being a copy of what was appropriate. They were setting this out as, I, I did this right. Standing firm? Yeah, yeah, we're good at that. We had an appropriate response to standing firm, right? Uh, helping these ladies? Yep, 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 we did that. We had an appropriate response to helping these ladies. Good. Rejoicing? Yes. We're good at that one, too. We have an appropriate response to our rejoicing. Being anxious? Yep, that, too. Very appropriately, we're following through. Telling God about it? Yes, 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 yes. We've done that in an appropriate way. We're dwelling on these things that are right and pure and good? Yes, that's appropriate. That's what we've been doing. Practicing these things? Yes. We've been doing that. It's all appropriate. We've done it all the right way. We've done it all the right way. But what's the command that they've missed? Verse 5. 
Let it be known to who? All men. Oh, what, what just happened here? Let me explain. He's saying this is urgent. This is a change of the whole town right here. Right now, start doing this like you've never done it before. Let them see what you have learned and what you are doing with your experience with God. Let them see your reasonableness. Let them see your appropriateness. Let them see your conduct. Let them see what you are doing. Start right now to declare before all of these men this response. Now, let me give you my observation, and I'll put it in in a paragraph here, and I think it might make sense. The Philippians were good at doing a lot of things. I've already expressed that. They did it so consistently. Paul said, don't quit, don't quit. There's just one thing they hadn't done. That was letting their appropriate spirit be known to the world around them as well. See, they were sharing it with God, and that's right. They were sharing it with one another, and that's because they were in the team together. But the world, they were not showing. You say, how do you know this? Well, here's, our, here's what we tend to do, and then I'll show you from Scripture. Here's what we tend to do. The, the problems arise, and we circle the wagons. Don't we? The, the challenges come our way and we're urged to shelter in place. We're told, let, let, let's, not, let's not get out there where there's danger. Let's protect ourselves. Let's do this distant thing. Let's, you know how that fits in our society right now. And we understand it because there is a danger out there. There's a virus out there and, and it's at an elevated level. If you worked at a hospital, you guys would know that. Uh, it can cause death, yes. We have issues in schools, we have issues in church, we have to make adjustments because it's contagious, and we're worried about those kind of things. But let me say this. What if our problem wasn't a virus today, but what if our problem was spiritual persecution? What would be our appropriate response? I know our tendency. I know what we would do out of human nature. We would circle the wagons. We would distance ourselves. We'd keep it low. We'd keep it quiet. We would try to protect ourselves. And that sounds like it's a reasonable thing to do. The Roman church was known for going underground, remember? It was a very bold step as a Christian to live visible in a hostile world. That is a tough calling. But much of the New Testament is in that situation. Much of it is. If you read 1 Peter, understand it. That's the tone of the entire book, 1 Peter, is that you're living as a visible Christian in a hostile world. Keep it going. If you read Hebrews 10, you'll feel the same thing. Let me just read you a few verses. Hebrews 10.32 and on through a couple of verses here. But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. Nobody likes that. But partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. 
but you showed sympathy to the prisoner and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. What is happening in this passage? Here are Christians being persecuted for their faith. They're being arrested. They're losing their property. They're put in prison. Now, there was a, a trick to this a little bit. Because if you were put into a prison in that day, on the crime of being religious or a Christian, basically, if you were put in that prison for that, they did not feed you. If you needed food, somebody had to bring that to you. Somebody who cared for you. Somebody who understood that you were a brother or sister in Christ. And guess what they just found when you brought dinner to this guy? The second Christian to put into prison. Every single time you walked that way with something in your hand, you were visibly showing that you had an attachment to that man of faith in prison. It was a dangerous thing to do. But they said they accepted it joyfully because they knew this wasn't where the life ended. And so they were willing to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Hebrews 10 is full of that. The Philippians, did they ever learn this kind of a lesson? Take it back again to 16 of the book of Acts. Where did Paul find himself? In prison. That's where this church started in a lot of ways. Right there in prison. And guess who was listening? Prisoners. Remember? The prisoners were listening to him. So what Paul is simply doing is bringing them back to something real simple they should have known. Is that, yes, you can do all this together. You could do it in a quiet way. Paul and Silas could have whispered. But they didn't. They were visible. They were audible. And people were listening. The whole Philippian church could operate as a mature body and keep it within its own walls. But Paul says, that's your challenge now. You have something good. Let them hear it too. Let them see it too. Because so often it's easy for us. Oh, yeah, we're good at putting all our anxieties in the right box. We're good at that. But the world needs to see that too. Don't they? Isn't that a lesson we'd love everybody to learn? Guess who's the teacher? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. If I wanted to walk you through this, I'd take you in chapter number one and show you that's exactly what Paul was doing. He says in chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brethren, of my circumstances, they've turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. How? My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. Because they heard, and now they're trusting the Lord, because I'm in prison and I had the courage to say something. He says, there's your example, Philippians. And then in chapter 2, he does it again. He starts talking about the, the, their need as well to, to take this and run with it. Verse 14, 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. He says, Philippians, what I've done, I lived like a Christian in a hostile environment. People came to know the Lord. You are designed for that too. You are lights. And you're living in a crooked and perverse generation. Did you know that? We are, aren't we? You're living there. So what is your job? Be a light. What do you do with a light? Put it under a bushel? Every kid in here would say, No! I'm going to let it shine. That's what he's talking to the Philippians on. I don't think he's beating them up. He's just saying, this is what you're made for. You're not made to stay inside the building. You're doing it right. But this world needs to see the example of somebody who can live godly in a world like theirs. There are people there that need to see this. In other words, if you're trusting God with these things, if you're by prayer and thankfulness, you're going before Him with these things. Let the world see it. Let them see you cast your care upon Him. Let them know that He cares for you. Let them understand because they need that lesson too. So there's our challenge. There's our Philippians challenge. The world brings us a lot of pain. You know that. Trying to live godly in the midst of it is tough. So do the appropriate thing. What is the appropriate thing? Do what you're called to do as a believer in a visible way. That they may see. That they may see. That they may see. Candles are never meant to be put under a bushel. The world needs to know what to do with its anxiety. Why do you think everyone's watching the news all the time? They're hoping to get an answer for what they see. That's why you watch it too, right? Every time you turn it on, you say, I hope there's good news today. I hope there's an answer today. I hope there's a solution today. I hope we have something to feel good about. The world needs that too. And they're not going to get it from our news sources, are they? Guess where they get it from? Us living out appropriately in a visible way. The world needs to know that the Lord needs to be trusted. Guess who's supposed to show that example? That's us. That's why that whole box thing is not really all that personal anymore. What I do with my anxiety, well, that's all my business, right? No, it's not. Because the world's watching what you do with that. You can teach them a lesson they've never seen before. Everyone else is parading around their box. Why don't you talk about the Lord? Show them the difference. Okay. You see the challenge? That's a big one. But that's, that, that's what they were struggling with. That's what they needed help with. And that's what Paul says. That's where I'm going to hit it. That's your need. And we're going to add one more piece to it. And that's the Lord is at hand. End of verse number 5. Like I said, you got to come tonight. Because that's what we're going to do with it. And I see I still have notes. And I'm saving them for tonight. Okay? But uh, this is such a beautiful... I, w- I, I would love to just take 
Philippians apart, verse by verse, all the way through. You got about 30 years? It might take that long to get through it all the way like I'd like to. I love this book. It'd take you about a half hour to read if you want to take the time this week just to sit down, quiet your heart, and just read through Philippians. It will bless you. It will bless you. It's a good book for a maturing congregation. And it reminds us, folks, it's not just about us. We have a ministry. We have a world that needs to see what we know is good stuff. We're going to have communion service. Let's have a word of prayer first, and then I'll have the guys join me up here, please. Heavenly Father, wow, your word just hits right on the nose every time. And it's designed to be that way. It cuts down to the deepest part of who we are. And we praise you, Lord, for being so careful to show us and so loving to show us. And even when we get our toes stepped on or our our hearts stretched further than we've ever had them stretched before, we know it's because you love us. And you want us to use these lives in such ways that they give you glory and they, they just benefit the world around us. So let us take these things to heart today. They're very important things. And uh, help us to apply it. Wherever we are, wherever we go, may we be sure to show them that we trust you above everything else. Thank you for that challenge. And as we spend some time right now looking upon what our Savior did for us and giving his life for us, we remember today and we are thankful. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.